Hello, movie friends. Welcome back to the show. This is Anthony. And this is James. And today's a very special episode. We got an advanced screening of Dune at IMAX, and it was phenomenal. And this episode is actually brought to you by IMAX, so thanks so much for partnering with us. And this is going to be a spoiler-free review of Dune because it's not released yet. It will be released in a few days in globally. America. In In the UK and everywhere yeah. else in Canada. So we want to give everyone a chance to see it without spoiling it, but we're going to talk about everything that went into the movie in terms of what we can spoiler-free, and especially the IMAX aspect of the film. And if you've been listening to our show for the last year, we've been hyping up Dune for a very long time, and you know how giddy we've been, how excited we've been to see this film. We've read the book. We really love the story, and uh, Denis Villeneuve is one of our favorite directors, and he made what we think is a modern masterpiece in Blade Runner 2049. And, you know, Dune, seeing it in IMAX on that giant screen with that sound, um, it was a stunning achievement in filmmaking, and I was just absolutely awestruck with what Denis Villeneuve, his cast and crew, did with this film. Yeah, and at the end of this episode of this review, we will be announcing our winners for our IMAX ticket giveaway. We ha- we're giving away 10 sets of tickets, so 20 total. Each winner wins a pair of tickets. We'll, you'll get a Fandango coupon code to go see Dune whenever IMAX theaters near you. And we had a lot of entrants. We made a drawing earlier, so now we're going to announce it at the end of this episode so listen to this whole podcast episode and you'll find out if you are a lucky winner and i'm sure we'll go back to doing later on throughout the show over time because we want to like get more in-depth analysis but we want to again keep this spoiler free but for me dune was a dream it was everything that i wanted and more being a huge fan of the books and of denis villeneuve who I think now you could say is definitely a master at tackling this like futuristic worlds, interplanetary travel now because Blade Runner in the future and then even Arrival you could say is some futuristic world. And then with Dune, he's just a master of that right now. And he's a rare director where he's just he's just so artistic, so he's a genius. And I was so curious so about so many aspects of what Dune would be like on the big screen with his interpretation. And he just knocked every aspect of it out of the park. Yeah, what makes him special is he brings the art to big-budget sci-fi, which has not been done too often, especially in the last couple of decades. And, you know, he made Blade Runner's sequel, which many thought would be impossible to make work. And uh, you could argue that it is a better movie than the original Blade Runner. It's absolutely fantastic. And then with Dune, you know, it had a storied um, history of development hell. David Lynch made an adaptation that was not received very well and honestly didn't do the book justice. And so no one wanted to touch Dune for a long time. And a few filmmakers took stabs at it and just nothing came from it. But once Denis was announced as the filmmaker, I felt confident that he would be able to pull it off after what he did with Blade Runner. And what he did with this was really monumental in terms of the, the filmmaking, the craftsmanship involved, as well as translating this complicated story um, to mainstream audiences. And uh, they do a great job of filling um, people who are unknown, who don't know about this story. It's pretty easy to follow. This story has an intense amount of detail to it, characters, you know, a whole history of its own. And they really did a great job of filling the audience in, getting them up to speed really quickly so that once the story takes off, uh, even people who haven't read the books are along for the ride. And I know we hype up a lot of movies on the show because we love film, but this one is magnificent. You know, this is cinema. It's remarkable. It's imaginative. It's massive, you know, because Dune was designed, dreamed, and shot for IMAX experience. And if there was ever a film since the pandemic to show the importance of film in theaters 
it's Dune. And when you're in IMAX watching this movie, which we we really highly recommend you go to watch it because Denis and his DP cinematographer Greg Frazier, they used only IMAX cameras. And so it's designed to be seen that way. And the theater will shake. And thanks to IMAX, I think that Dune, for me personally, was one of the most immersive film experiences I've I've ever had in my entire life. It's like this when we saw Dunkirk in 70 millimeter film projection, then like Interstellar when we saw that in IMAX. You're entering a whole new world and universe, especially in this film. And the IMAX footage, which is enormous, it, it shows just astounding imagery that they that they really captured on lo- in a bunch of different locations. This film, it f- really feels alive. And I'm telling you, you won't have the same experience if you're in a regular theater and not even close to the same experience if you're watching at home on HBO Max. Yeah, and th- that's the reason why Chris Nolan has been slowly putting more IMAX footage into his movies over the past 10 years. J.J. Uh, Abrams started doing it with the Star Wars movies. What the IMAX footage does is it's it's a, the highest resolution you can make for a film. Uh, so take like think about like Call of Duty 10 years ago and compare it to Call of Duty now. The, the resolution is, is in, incredible, and the size of the footage is much larger. There's more information. So when you're watching it on this gigantic screen, the reason why it is immersive is because the image is so sharp. There's so much more detail, plus the screen is monumentally big, and that really in- immerses you into the film-going experience. Because the screen is so large, you like you you have to like move your head a little bit to see different things that are going on in the frame because of how massive it is, and that it, it like wraps around your entire viewpoint, and it feels like you're inside that world with these characters, with these larger-than-life things happening. And no other film-going experience can ever duplicate that. IMAX is the ultimate version. Yeah, it's like floor-to-ceiling, wall-to-wall, entire frame being covered. Not the entire movie was shot with IMAX IMAX footage, but you can notice the aspect ratio when it changes from widescreen to the full frame of the IMAX. And the difference between IMAX and standard is that IMAX, like you said, is the ultimate high-resolution of what it is 70 millimeter film instead of the 35 millimeter which is what we normally see so you're getting literally an extra movie while you're watching this movie it's 40 percent more image and i'm telling you especially with the movie like dune where you're creating new worlds you, you're on different planets and not to mention the incredible cinematography that they captured on all these different locations you know they shot this all over the world they were in budapest jordan norway abu dhabi and all these different locations they act as the major backdrop of Arrakis or Dune, which is the planet that the most of the film takes place on. And, and really, the IMAX footage and the scale and the frame, it really makes you feel like you're there, especially in these new planets and new worlds, and it, because they really shot it like that. And in terms of making a gigantic sci-fi film, you would expect there to be a lot of CGI, and you would expect so much you know, green screen. But the way Denis films, and he did this with Blade Runner as well, is a lot of what you're seeing was practical uh, miniatures actually building these sets i didn't notice a shot at all where there was green screen used i couldn't tell of anything i'm sure there were a couple here and there but for me it looked as though everything was really built and tangible even the ships like if someone's stepping off a ship you know obviously the entire ship isn't real but they built the entire hangar and the platform of the ship that goes down so people the act the cast is actually walking down you know a, a futuristic looking uh spaceship hangar and so then they'll probably cgi the rest of the ship in the background but i i think the knee does a terrific job like chris nolan of adding as much practical practicality into his filmmaking as possible greg frazier did an excellent job of, of shooting this as well and and in terms of the cgi because there is plenty of cgi it looks absolutely stunning it looks so realistic uh, many of these shots of these massive ships 
moving in and out of um, areas, especially um, the Atreides ships, their fleet coming out of the water. I was absolutely absolutely stunned. And Denis is a patient filmmaker where he's like, this is an experience. I want to do a minute of you watching this gigantic ship come out of this ocean because it, it immerses you into that world. Honestly, it looks so good and real in IMAX and massive that I, it, I wouldn't be surprised if it's practical in a miniature. I don't know. I couldn't tell. But it, it, that's how real it looks that, yeah, there is CGI, but you'd be surprised how little CGI there actually is. And this movie, it's so ambitious. It's enormous in scope. And it's a rarity among blockbusters that we get something like this, a master class and a masterpiece in filmmaking with a huge budget. It's beautiful. It's intense. Again, it's going to suck you into this new world. And again, I'm kind of in disbelief how much he got in from the book into the movie because it's a like you said earlier, it's a very complex film. It's a very I mean a story, very complex book. The the book is 700 plus pages, and the movie will cut off around the 450 500 page mark before it goes into part two. So part one ends it again 475 pages around for one movie. So you have to stuff in a ton of stuff. But I think that Denis was able to consolidate. This complex story to make it understandable and comprehensible with minimal and effective exposition in the early first act of the film. Yeah, he did a remarkable job because especially with Paul Paul's character, which is um, the character that uh, Timothy Chalamet plays, he's going through uh, transformations. He's not a normal person. He has things about him that, you know, are kind of, you could say, supernatural in a way. And, you know, the spice is uh, enhancing that as well. So there's a lot of complicated backstory in terms of who Paul Atreides is, what is happening to him, and you know what these abilities he's that are growing within him are, how he uses them, and how he can use them in the future. And at times he's not he's using them without even trying to or knowing he is. So I think that it's it they did an amazing job of translating that onto the screen for new viewers as well as capturing like this spirituality slash supernatural blend of genres that Hubert put into this film. Herbert put into this film. I mean the story. Yeah. And again, visually one of the most stunning films I've seen since Interstellar. It's like up there. I think it blew me away more than Interstellar. And I was so curious how Denis would visualize things in the book in terms of like the body shields for combat, which you get glimpses of in the trailer, but to see it to use to in a large extent like they do in the book and the film was amazing. The spice, aka the melange, the ornithopters, which are like these dragonfly ships that they fly around Arrakis and their wings are like, they look like, they're like dragonfly wings. They're really cool. Mentats in terms of the human computers that all the houses have. The Bene Gesserit, which is that religious sort the spiritual uh, female cult that kind of runs the politics of the universe and the galaxy. The still suits, whether they be the Arrakis made or the Fremen made st- uh, still suits, the thumpers, the the guild highliners, the Baron, especially Baron Harkonnen, who's the main villain in the film. You get glimpses in the trailer, but I was so curious how Denny was going to capture him in these in a bunch of scenes like he's supposed to be in, especially his anti-gravitational suspenders, which are heavily described in the film. Everything, I mean, everything in the book that Denis translated into the film was done perfectly compared to what my imagination was whenever I read these books. Yeah, and on top of that, you had one of the most astounding scores by Hans Zimmer. And if you know our show, you know how much we fanboy on Hans Zimmer. He's our guy. Big time. You know what I mean? And we listen to his music more than anything. And I, I, I he always seems to surprise me. But with, with Dune, he did something really special, this blend of music where 
you know, he did the, he composed these amazing vocal feats and combining that with, you know, his typical use of percussion, but he he made this amazing rhythm that ended up being like one of the main themes of the movie, like this really great percussion moment. And then combine that, you know, with his uh, electronics synth uh, again with with the full orchestra here and there, but a lot of guitar and as well as a lot of instruments that you can find in Middle Eastern countries and cultures. Then what he did with the score was really remarkable from the moment the movie starts after the opening logos, like his music gets you right into it and you're like, oh my God, what is going to happen? Yeah, it's so experimental. I definitely think it's probably in his top 10 for sure. Like I think Interstellar is probably still going to always be my favorite Hans Zimmer score, but this is something I never heard ever before in my life, just like with Interstellar that was so new to me. And I think the importance of IMAX works so well in so many different areas of this film. Of course, the desert, which is heavily featured in this film when you're on an entire planet, Arrakis, Dune, that is an entire desert, you get so they have so much beautiful cinematography in all these different real locations and it shows just the impact of the soul of the desert on the soul of the film the soul of the characters also were on different planets like Caladon which is where the Atreides were originally holding their their fort basically their their fife their control of that planet which was a water planet then the planet of Arrakis or Dune Getty Prime which is where the Harkonnens their head operations are Seleucus II which is the emperor's basically army planet all looked incredible in IMAX on the large, enormous formatting. The spacecraft, the ornithopters, again, were super cool, but also even, like, the um, the Highliner crafts that were over space, which is how they travel, basically, from one point in the galaxy to the other instantly, were huge, and I couldn't even picture anything like that in my life. Yeah. And also, the technology in this world, because it's kind of, like, analog mixed with... With mixed with like it's like biology and biology and technology have blended together in ways. Because there's no more computers, yeah. so it's also very analog at the same time, and there's epic battles in this film too the combat is really cool because paul atreides he's been trained his entire life in the ways of the benny Gesserit, which his mother is a, a member of he's also been trained by a mentat who is a supercomputer his entire life a human computer his entire life and then he's also been trained by duncan idaho and gurney halick who are two of the greatest warriors in the entire universe for his entire life so he's a highly skilled person and to see like the skill that went into his combat we get a couple of great shots of that and seeing Timothy Chalamet pull off some cool moves. And the sound design in this movie is really excellent. And combining that with Hans Zimmer's music, you know, there are some incredible sequences in this film which, you know, blow you away. And one of the benefits of the IMAX theater is their unique sound system, the 12.1 channel, 15,000 watt digital speakers. And what it does is you're going to hear things in an IMAX theater that you would never hear in another theater. The frequency range yeah. is huge, so that's what that means. It allows you're, you're hearing yeah. so much more sound. It allows so much detail and, you know, the paintbrushes of the artist, like every stroke is heard on these speakers and it makes all the difference in the world. You and I always say that, you know, sound is actually the most important part of a form of media whether it be a movie or a podcast. If it sounds bad, it can take you out of the experience where as great sound mixing, great sound design, and an excellent score can really pull you into a film. Yeah, and I'm telling you, you'll hear things in an IMAX theater you will never hear in a theater. It shakes you to your core. It literally shakes the entire—your seats are shaking. It's amazing. The production design of this film is also exceptional. 
these impossibly huge sets with tremendous amounts of practical detail. The artists that were working on this movie are so talented. It's incredible. I mean, because again, we're on so many different planets. We have so many different cultures going on. We have different houses of the universe, like compared to the Harkonnens versus the Atreides, completely different designs. And the wardrobe of the Atreides, the Bene Gesserits, it's so fascinating. The warriors, the Fremen and the still suits, not to mention... The sandworms, Shai Halud, who are the massive beings on this planet Arrakis, and they're responsible for the production of or the creation of the spice, the melange, which is the most valuable resource in the entire universe because not only does it extend life and powers to people like Premonition, but it also makes the instantaneous intergalactic space travel possible because the pilots can see ahead into the future using the spice where they're going to end up if they go in a certain trajectory so it's it's vital to intergalactic travel and the cast in this movie is unbelievable like this is one of the most stacked casts you've seen in a long time uh right from the lead to the supporting cast and you know paul atreides really great character and timothy chalamet when he was cast we were like yeah he's perfect like yeah. he's ideal as as paul atreides and you know oscar isaac you have rebecca ferguson jason momoa uh, this cast is incredible zendaya josh yeah. brolin we have um who else we have uh javier bardem is stilgar uh stellan skarsgård as the baron harkin and it's a ridiculously stacked cast there are like 20 incredible actors sharon duncan brewster as leah kynes dave bautista as rabin chen chang as dr ua who else we have? Yeah, I think that's pretty much most of the main I cast. Think that Stephen McKinley Henderson for Thurfer Howitt. It's it, stacked. And I would say, you know, Rebecca Ferguson really, you know, I think stood out as the best performer of this movie. She really knocked her role out of the park. It, it was a, it's a challenging role. Her character goes through a lot of intense moments. You know, her son, his his life's always, is always at risk, and he, he's also changing. And, you know, there's a lot at stake. Um, these people, they go through great trials and tribulations, and I think Rebecca Ferguson really did a phenomenal job. Yeah, well, Lady Jessica, you could say, is the co-lead of this movie after Mm -hmm. Paul because it's like that in the book, too. She has a ton to do. She's being exiled with Paul throughout the film, and she is the concubine of Duke Leto Atreides, played by Oscar Isaac. They never got married because she is not of noble blood uh, in the first in the first film we learned. But she is a Bene Gesserit, which, again, is is this spiritualistic... uh, sisterhood of of these women who basically for thousands and thousands of years have been controlling the universe politically and through bloodlines and paul atreides is a direct result of the control of those bloodlines and he has that he has two prophesized destinies and he fulfills one of them throughout the story yeah and this movie it's if you aren't sure about like what it looks like to you the best way to sum it up is this is Game of Thrones in space. So Game of Thrones meets Star Wars. Kind of, yeah. yeah. But more complicated. It's a much more complicated, but that's like the dumb version of what Dune is. And Dune, it's an old story. It was written 70 years ago, and it influenced sci-fi It's still to this day. And, you know, there are moments of this film, and you might look at this and be like, oh, I've seen that in, you know, Star Wars, or I've seen that in another movie. But this was first, you know what I mean? Star Wars borrowed from this. There wouldn't be a Star Wars if Dune hadn't been written. So this is one of the most original stories ever crafted, uh, especially in the sci-fi genre. But all as a whole in literature, um, Herbert had a fascinating imagination, and he crafted something really, truly holy and original. And, you know, we all the entire sci-fi genre owes a lot to Dune. And so this was a big film to get made. It's important. I think, in the history of cinema and the genre of sci-fi. Yeah, and again, it's it's so perfectly cast. I mean, 
it, um, Timothy Chalamet is, is Paul Atreides. I've read the book three times, and I honestly couldn't picture somebody else doing the role. He's perfect, and it's a very subtle and nuanced performance, just like the character in the book. He plays it just like I picture in my head whenever I read it. And not to mention Zendaya, she's a huge star as well. So you have two huge stars in this movie besides everyone else. Zendaya plays Chani, who is one of the Fremen, but it takes a while in the book and the movie for the Atreides to get to Arrakis after the Emperor takes the Harkonnens away from the control of it and puts the Atreides in there to take control of, of the planet Dune and Arrakis for the Emperor. And I think some people might be a little disappointed with how little Zendaya is going to be in this film because she's kind of marketed as a big part of the of the film. And I understand that that's what studios are doing. You know, we have to get as many people in seats and Zendaya is a huge star, so we're going to market her. But, you know, it's that's the way it plays in the book. She's actually in a decent amount in the movie than I thought she'd be. You know, she's in, featured heavily in a lot of Paul's visions that he has early on before he gets to Arrakis, and then they get stronger as he's on Arrakis because of the spice. But... Chani has a huge role to play in the second part two film, so she'll be a major player in Dune part two when that films and comes out. Yeah, exactly. And Greg Fraser has quickly become one of my favorite cinematographers. Same. He he's he was uh, he's Damien Chazelle cinematographer, uh, so he shot First Man, La La Land, Whiplash, and he has really great artistic visions, um, great integrity in you know making great imagery combined with minimalist imagery like there are shots where you know there's not much lighting at all and they he he combines naturalistic raw lighting that you would see in everyday life com- and then you'll see that contrasted with intense sci-fi action sequences with like the most insane set pieces you've ever seen so it's a complicated thing to do to pull this off and i think the vision he crafted in this film is in line with what Denis usually has for his films and you know really blew me away in terms of how to capture these set pieces, how to capture these characters. I was just astounded by his DP work. Yeah, Greg Frazier, he's an incredible cinematographer. He also did Rogue One. He did the Batman, and we all just saw that trailer a dozen times, I'm sure, and the <laughs> aesthetic and the visuals of that film are some of the best I've seen in years, especially for a superhero comic book movie. It looks like the coolest superhero movie ever made visually, you know, the shots that they're getting and the artistic vision they have. And Denis Villeneuve works with very talented cinematographers, and I think some people are disappointed that he wasn't working with Roger Deakins on this film. He worked with Roger Deakins on Blade Runner 2049. He got an Oscar for that for cinematography. He also worked with him on Sicario and Prisoners as well. And then in Arrival, he worked with Bradford Young, who did a tremendous job on that film as well. So I think Denis knows the power of cinematography and how important it is to have a very talented one, especially one where one working with IMAX cameras. Because, yeah, anyone can use a, a huge frame camera and film to get some cool imagery, but to, to use it to a, your advantage and get the right shots that fit that format for when you're in the theater watching this enormous scale uh, frame, to do it the right way and Greg Frazier is very talented when it comes to filming in regular and IMAX cameras. Yeah, so the craftsmanship of this film is the top is the top of the top, you know. These are the best artists in the world in the world of filmmaking and you know, you got Hans Zimmer then Greg Frazier, the production designers, excellent, you know, the best cast money can pay for. And you know, Warner Brothers went full in on this movie. I, I respect them for that cuz it's not something that, you know, mainstream audiences are clamoring to see. You know, there's no superheroes in this. There's no Transformers robots in this, you know. This is not what we typically see for blockbusters nowadays. And you know what? I think that you got to give it to them. They were like, let's do Dune. Let's just make it as best as we can. Throw a lot of money on it. Do it the right way this time and see what happens. And I really do think that, you know, this isn't going to be the biggest box office hit in the world. 
But I do think that audiences are going to gravitate to this in a big way, and this will go down as a really loved movie. Yeah, I really hope people go to see this in theaters, go see it in IMAX. It really is one of those experiences that you seldom have even in theaters. It's like in the last 10 years, it's like top three for me for sure. It's like this and some other – like Dunkirk when we saw it in 70 millimeter. It's just a rare experience to have, and you have a director like Denis Villeneuve who I couldn't imagine anybody else tapping to do this project. I couldn't imagine – Nolan – Anyone, I couldn't, I couldn't picture a single person besides Denis Villeneuve doing this adaptation and doing it the right way because he is such an amazing vision as a director. And I was so, I was so blown away and I was so awestruck by the experience of seeing it on this giant IMAX screen that I want to see it again as soon as possible because I was so just enthralled and I need to see this at least three times. I didn't in the want next it to end. Month, you know, exactly. Yeah, once it ended, I was like astounded but i was like oh man it's over i want to yeah. keep going and the cliffhanger it's not really the cliffhanger they're leaving you on it's just like unanswered questions so it's not like an episode of game of thrones you're like what's gonna happen <laughs> it's it's well because i know what's gonna happen so i probably look at it differently they ended it pretty much where i expected them to where it makes sense to stop this film to continue with the part two to get like a good story going for another film but i was more than satisfied when we saw this film astounding filmmaking it's it's just everything I wanted and more, and I can't recommend it enough. And we'll go way more in depth when we do a full analysis of this film. And we'll wait a few months for everybody to see it because we don't want to spoil it for you all. We, yeah. all, we want you all to, to listen to our review of it, and hopefully it gets you hyped up and gets you excited. Don't listen to some of these bad reviews that are coming out, even though it's like 90% of Rotten Tomatoes. There's still reviews coming out there and critics saying that oh, it's too long, it's too slow, it's laggy. It's like it's a 700-page book. You can't make a 10-hour a movie with constant action, it's we have to get a lot of things in there. It's a very complex story, and I think just people, if you have the patience, like get patience back in your life. <laughs> watch an amazing, time. amazing two and a half hour movie. Turn the phone off. Don't worry about how long it is. It's it's long, but I'm telling you, it will fly by because mostly of the 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 acting, the directing, and the visuals. And if you liked Blade Runner 2049, if you think that is a great film, you will adore this movie as well. And I'm telling you, if you if there's any medium to watch 450 foot giant sandworms on camera, <laughs> it's IMAX. So you got to see that for sure. Oh yeah, big time. Shai Halud. All right, thanks so much to, for listening to this review. But now, oh, and thanks to IMAX for sponsoring this and sending us to see this movie because it was our most anticipated movie for like what four years as soon as we yeah, started for a long production, time. three yeah. years. So it was just an incredible experience. Thanks so much. Um, we're now going to announce the winners, the ten winners of our IMAX ticket giveaway. Each one of these people, they will get two tickets so you'll get a fandango code which you can use at any redeemable imax and you'll have to do it digitally and we had hundreds of comments in our video so thank you to all of our fans for subscribing to our youtube channel which is very helpful for the show yeah it was like what 700 entries or something yeah, like that yeah and then also for making a comment and we're happy to help give back to our fans with contests like this so here it is this is the 10 winners of the dune imax ticket giveaway so we got jake franco Bubba 818483, Rain Ice Pop, I like that one, <laughs> Kyle, Jack, J-A-C, Farhan and Friends, Omer Burke, Nikki Biernacki, Preston, and Gabby Lopez. Congratulations, everyone. And we'll post a video tomorrow of us filming the entries as we selected them so everyone can know it was done fairly and we did it in one take. So those are the two authentic real winners. We used a random name generator that you put in a YouTube link and it selects however many winners you want to choose. It does it automatically for you. And it was super easy. So congrats to everyone who won. We will get into contact with you winners and we'll get in contact with IMAX and we'll get the coupon codes for Fandango for you to redeem digitally at any IMAX near you. 
Congratulations. Thanks, IMAX, so much for sponsoring this episode and this giveaway for us. And we have a lot more contact. We have many more contests coming your way. So don't worry if you didn't win this time. Keep an eye out for future ones. And for everyone who won, congratulations. Thank you for tuning into the show. You deserve it. Thanks so much for tuning into Raiders of the Lost Podcast. Be sure to subscribe. If you're new, hit the like button, leave a comment. Find us on all audio streaming platforms, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you listen to podcasts, you can find us. Find us on Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, Raiders of the Lost Podcast. Be sure to check out one of these other videos right here for more content on our favorite films and breaking down all kinds of movie content. Thanks so much.